This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Mel Gibson sees signs, Buffy begins slaying, and one of the highest grossing comedies of all time. This week on 302010. Welcome to 302010, ladies and gentlemen, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a wonderful journey of 30, 20, and 10 years ago into our collective pop culture past. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm now starring in a musical adaptation of Sweet Bird of Youth called Songbird. We do the hustle in the opening number. And uh, who else? And I'm J.R. Rawls, and you're going to wish you had three hands. <laughs> God, I hate that. Ah, anyway. Welcome to 302010, where you look back at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago this week. Uh, I'll be doing July 29th through August 4th. Once again, thank you to all our patrons out there at patreon.com slash lasertime. We have uh, some cool bonus episodes for you in exchange for five bucks, and we have a lot more bonus stuff headed your way, including a, a weird a weird experiment where my track in the E.T. podcast failed, so I'm just edited out of the conversation. <laughs> what, what, what do you call it? Like a Garfield without Garfield? I don't Exactly. I am queuing tracks, so I don't know how that works, but uh, please please or, enjoy. Don't complain too much, because it's... Or it's, like those old Soviet pictures of Trotsky and Stalin, and you see, like, everyone is removed from the photograph until it's just Stalin left. I almost get that. <laughs> I am not the historical guy here. I'm here to talk about the cartoons. Uh, hi, welcome to 302010, I should say again. We'll be looking at July 20, 29th through August 4th in the years 1992, 2002, and 2012. Buckle in, because uh, we got to start with 30 years ago, like we always do. What's going on, USA, USSR, uh, around the world air race begins at Santa Monica? What? So as we mentioned, the USSR does not exist at this point in time, but there's a lot of carryover of stuff right i mean i forget his name but there's one guy that's called the last soviet citizen because he went up to the international space station and he came down after the soviet union had fallen so <laughs> this is a bit like that uh, i want to go back to mir this is not good i uh, didn't they say just today they're pulling out of that in russia anyway this is not anyway, about today uh, so once communism began to relax itself a little they started to do some things like allow an air race through their airspace and they'd never done that before and if you're going to do an around the world air race that was kind of a thing that you'd really want to do yeah uh, russia's kind of big kind and, of big. yeah yeah and uh you're gonna kind actually in the way. kind of in the way so they said okay we're all chilling out we'll allow you to do this air race and then they ceased to exist but they still went through with the air race. So it, it's it's one of those holdover things. And it's it, I'm trying my best to refrain from making yet another chipmunk adventure reference, but these aren't in hot air balloons? No, these are okay. uh, small aircraft, usually privately owned. Uh, the race was sponsored by a California self-storage company. Uh, <laughs> you know... So this is amateur flying, you know, just, people just, basically just wanting to do around the world. White people having a big old blast, sponsoring yeah, themselves, exactly. flying and, their own uh, planes. You were, you were required to bring warm clothes, a raft, 
a hatchet, and they recommend a rifle, but that was not compulsory. And, <laughs> and please read the book Hatchet before. And, 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 okay, that's happening in the world right now. I do not remember that at all. 1992, the movies, I very much remember because they're mostly, I don't want to say wonderful, but very memorable and true oh, cult yeah. favorites across the board. Except for the first two, which I don't know very well at all, other than being, I'm going to guess, the better Jersey Girl. Because Kevin Smith's version is terrible. It sounds like, yeah, Jersey Girl with Jamie Gertz and Dylan McDermott. It sounds like we're drafting off of Working Girl here, where it's like, you know, she's, you know, she she's a, a lower class Jersey girl, but she wants to meet like a higher class guy. I don't know what this accent is. And so she like hangs out at a Mercedes Benz dealership until she spots somebody yeah. and then decides I'm going to stalk him. And she stalks him. And then... As she is stalking him, she causes an accident resulting in damage to his car, and then they exchange information, and that's how she pursues him. Okay, oh, if, if you sneaky. gender swap these, this is a super creepy movie. Hey. Yeah, that's how serial killers work. That's some Ted yeah. Bunny shit. Yeah. Yeah, just help me load this in the back of my van. But another way to look at it is it's super refreshing to see a woman be the psychotic one in a rom-com. <laughs> Because, you know. So cute. Yeah. What what could she do? Uh, Cook my pets? Come on. I'm not afraid. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of rom-coms this week. Almost including Enchanted April, which, goddamn, this cast. Oh, it sounds like like my ex-girlfriend's AIM name. Enchanted April? Yeah. Yeah. Miranda Richardson, Josie Lawrence, Polly Walker, Joan Plowright, Alfred Molina, Michael Kitchen, Jim Broadbent. This is like the most British movie that ever Britished. (laughs) Yeah. is your PBS addicted mom's favorite movie. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's just about stuffy British women in sad relationships and then they go on holiday to Italy and oh, and things start to get better and their husbands realize they've been bad and then everyone makes up and they sit in the parlor for a bit and then oh let's walk in the gardens oh it's charming so i'm i'm starting to get old i've realized because i'm starting to get more excited to watch the adult movies that i never watched as a kid than some Mm -hmm. of the more actiony movies that i did watch as a kid and i found this to be a delight honestly it's super charming it's based on a novel originally published in 1922 so it wasn't originally a period story But then over time, it just becomes one. But it's interesting because they also delve into the typical housemate issues. Because these (laughs) four strangers, they're all renting a castle together. But they still have like the roommate issues of, oh, you're using this room? I wanted to use this room. (laughs) I I could see this being on that list of, what's that you've recommended, Diana? The AARP movie movies for adults? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah that list yeah. i could definitely see it being on there yeah it's a it's a movie for grown-ups that's about it. grown-up stuff and that's yeah. yeah that's all it is and yeah it's really charming it's directed by mike newell who does four weddings and a funeral next i think um all-star british character actors kicking some ass plow right becomes the favorite for best supporting actress because um she's wonderful in it and also she's the former mrs olivier and she loses to <laughs> marissa tomei from my cousin Vinny, and everyone thinks it's a, a plot <laughs> so I did do a tiny bit of research for this. Uh, this oh. is based on the author's real experience of renting the castle, and the film rented the same castle that the oh. author rented. Oh. And in 1922, the story is these four women just pinched together enough cash to rent a castle for the entire month of April. I want you both to guess oh. how much 
it would cost to rent that exact same castle in our year 2022 for the entire month of April, which is what the author did in real life and her fictional characters did. Okay. I'd say $200,000. Halfway between both of you, it's $122,000 to rent the castle for the month of April. I mean, yeah. or we can go old school and just take that shit. Come yeah, on, yeah. Come on, get a couple Seize besiege towers, you know, uh, yeah. a catapult or two. Build but how many shillings? Yeah, Enchanted April, it's, if you like something like Howard's End, <clears throat> but he wants something even softer and gentler than Howard's End or Room with a View. Enchanted April is, yeah, it's like a, a charming little vacation to take with witty people. And Yeah, I, I love it. It's adorable. My mother-in-law loves it, yeah. A moving, moving away into a movie. Moving I can, into, I can speak yeah, and speak about it all. If you remember my story from last week, me and my buddy Steve are some of the only kids in history to sneak out of a perfectly fine summer camp to go see movies. We were successful with Mom and Dad Save the World, so we recruited two more kids, snuck out of summer camp, walked an hour, saw two, you know, hour, two hour movie, basically ten year olds disappearing from a summer camp. It's just hard to believe we did that. This time we got caught. So this movie has like. I loved it, and then, like, it was the most I've ever been yelled at <laughs> mm-hmm. at, at that point. George Wallace, Chino Fats Williams, John Witherspoon, Robin Harris, uh, Nell Carter, Mira J, Tone Loke, uh, Marquez Houston, Jonelle Green, Wayne Collins Jr., Vanessa Bell Calloway, and Faison Love. And, oh boy, here we go. Maybe you'll get it from the song. I'm the jawbreaker, the candy taker, and never skip school, I'm the food baker, original man in a strange land. You never saw my butt on American pants then. The MC's name is Khalil. And if you can't spell it, you never will. I love a provider for the flavor you're lacking. But if you stop my flow, start straight jack. Um, I don't know if you recognize oh, the song. I was little hoping rap for... Kids. Little rapping kids. Little rapping kids. 1992, rap is required by law. Yeah, yeah. it's just uh, uh, rap is still like moving pretty quickly. Like from happy rap to gangster rap, so it's kind of dangerous to do that in animation, which is a process that could take years. So you don't want to capitalize on any trends in animation. And this, yeah. this is just kind of rap's been around for like at least ten years. Probably. No, no, I know, but yeah. like we're talking like the difference between kid and play and NWA. You could end up Very on true. one side or the other yeah. in 1992. If it plays it straight down the middle for the most part, that song. But I'm not an expert, but I am. I am a huge animation fan, and this was unlike anything I had ever seen. It was. Mm-hmm. I think when we started the show, we kind of chronicled for you when non Disney products finally started to hit theaters. It happened a little more in the 70s, but thanks to a lot of merchandising, Care Bears movies, My Little Pony movies, the American Rabbit movie. Don't look it up but it exists. But this is just a wholly original creation I've never heard anything like before or since, and I don't remember the... Based on stand-up. I don't remember... An animated film based on stand-up. From a guy who died two years ago. Yeah, and and, and I don't... Which is awful. I don't remember how (laughs) big... Robin Harris. I I don't know much. I remember seeing him on TV at the time, but Mm -hmm. like... Who's ever in charge of his legacy or estate, I have seen nothing ever since. See, I, I was a huge stand-up guy at the time, and I didn't remember this guy. And I was like... Oh, no, he was all over the place. Oh, yeah. I did. And especially if you saw the House Party movies. Robin yeah. Harris, is, he's that's dad. like his breakout part. Okay. And he's so funny. And then he dies way too young. And while already adapting, you know, one of his best-known bits about Bebe's kids into an actual animated 
film. I love that it's animated because you think live action, you just do live action. It's so you know? well. It started out as live action. I'm so glad. And, they and didn't it do it, it, it just kept evolving. I think due to his death into something far more ambitious and expensive, up to and including kind of the first theatrical cartoon starring mostly black people. That's yeah. That that's isn't made by Ralph true. Bakshi. Uh, I, I double checked. I said something similar, but I double checked it, and I can confirm that Disney never animated a human African American in the 20th century. Wow! Jesus! Wow! Yeah. Really? Even, yep. Not even, a human. There's a couple wow. of non-human characters you can say are, are speaking with African American. Mushu. Not I'm talking Mushu yeah. here. Uh, but I, yeah, either either way, it's from what is it? Hyperion Animation. What else did they make? Get it written down. Uh, I think they. Did, did they do Brave Little they Toaster? They did do Brave Little Toaster yeah, and Rover Dangerfield. Sort of that look. Has, I mean, it's, I think, the, yeah, it reminded me of Brave Little Toaster. It was just like the fluidity of yes. motion. It's like, it's really nicely animated. And it's written by Reginald Hudlin, yeah. who directed Boomerang and House Party. And also, I just found out, introduced the vice president to her husband. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What? Yeah. Just, yeah. And I was reading yeah. an interview with him on this. Throwing He's like, it's weird because like, People under 30, like, don't know Boomerang or anything else I've done but Bebe's kids. Because, you know, you have to imagine if you're, you know, little black kid looking for representation on a theatrical level. This is, like, all you have. Do not look at Ralph Bakshi stuff. Do not. <laughs> Do not. And uh, All right. I got to bring some negativity here. What's that? I tried to expose this to my kids. Uh oh And it got the quickest nope out of anything i've ever tried for the show so far they mm. had no interest in it they would rather not watch this than watch screen time we regiment screen time you only get a certain amount of screen time mm -hmm. this is free screen time with daddy nope was it was it from just uh the description or screening a little bit of it uh i i think it's it's not really that great of a kid's film. No, no, think. no, it's I mean, not. It's, and the opening the opening is especially not very kid-friendly. I mean, according to legend, this was a much, not, I don't want to say raunchier film, but it like intentionally, like, this isn't a Disney movie. We're making a PG-13 comedy aimed at all audiences, and they pulled that back a little bit. But the opening is, like, set in bars with, like, a ton That's of barfly caricatures and it's, it's not a pleasant environment that it, most children are like, yay, we get to see the animated sleazy bar where I'm pretty sure that's a hooker. Yeah. Technically there's a lot of scary <laughs> shit in I'm those sequences. Sure there's a hooker in that bar. No, they cut out a, they, in the movie. You can see how they cut out a lot of maybe bad language, but there's some visual stuff they just can't get rid of that you would never see in a children's animated comedy. It's one of the reasons I appreciate it. <laughs> I get it. I just if if this is going to be the first large scale Hollywood film animating African Americans, I just wish they would have gone a little broader audience than trying to like appeal more to kids who are the prime animated audience. I, I, yeah, I think they did. Mm. They ended up steering in that direction. But you think in 1992, like Black Panther marketing could have made this a much bigger deal. Like this is the first. This is the first thing of this. It deserves your support. Instead, you're right. They steered towards Nickelodeon advertisements, and I think it probably weirded a bunch of middle American white parents out. <laughs> just, yep. just the look of it. But I think it's that's a shame. Like it's not a great film, but I got some laughs, and the idea is something that is definitely more relatable to adults than kids. Like, yeah. I mean, the, it's based on this guy wants to take this girl, and they're going to 
she she's basically conning him into watching her friend's kids for her mm-hmm. to, to do her babysitting job for her. And they end up at a Disneyland type place and all hell breaks loose. There you go. But we, the story is told through the man's eyes. You know, yep. if this had been like a teenager being conned into watching a bunch of crazy kids, I think that would have had broader appeal to kids. Or if it had been mm-hmm. told through the kids' eyes, I think that would have had broader appeal. Yeah, I, I just think, yeah. uh, and I don't have the proper context of this, I think this is a pretty fucking famous Robin Harris bit that most people knew, yeah. and you couldn't do that. Like, he like he was always going it's to be a, a part of this yeah. movie. Okay. Yeah, even though he's dead, mm-hmm. and Face on Love is voicing him now. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, once he passed away, yeah, you could have turned it into something about a I'm teenager. I'm sh- shocked that they but didn't. <laughs> nope. That would be disrespectful. So we're not going to do it. Um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't because it is this, like, really original animated feature, like, in the middle of the entire decade of the 90s. There's nothing else that looks or sounds. Even the opening, like, I mentioned Ralph Bakshi. It sounds like a Ralph Bakshi movie. Like, a bunch of, like, they brought a microphone inside a real bar. Because you just feel a bunch of people over talking, saying unpleasant things with un- like smoking and drinking. Like it's, it, it really. I, I just don't feel like that was the best path to take. That's yeah. very much limiting your audience for your animated film. I think you're saying that because you were tr- trying to combine your work and your parenting and you didn't get to do it. <laughs> But like as as someone with none of those concerns, like I really like this when I saw it in theaters and I really liked it when I watched it again now. But, you know, it's it's always rubbed me the right way. I know it's not perfect. and I know it has its flaws. But it, mm. yeah, get, there's there's name another animated movie set in the 90s in the like in the 90s. It just didn't fucking happen. The Goofy movie. The Goofy it's movie. Great example. Great example. Also, is probably the blackest uh, <laughs> animated movie right up against Baby Biscuits. I'm stealing TL's bit, uh, but I do like the black community seizing a goofy movie for themselves. I think it's hilarious because it's a great film, and why not? Uh, but yeah, like most animated films are never set contemporarily, and I just I think it's great. It's a wonderful time capsule. Nothing looks like it. There's there's colors you'll never see in other animated features, not just including. And and you watch it now, and there's all these subtle like things you know white people like me are a little more aware of talking to police officers and security guards it it's mm-hmm. weird none of that hit me as a kid ever and um uh, haven't yeah. watched this in about 10 15 years and it's now it's at the forefront of my mind it's neat neat i recommend i recommend yeah. rewatching it yeah I, I, yeah i gotta give it a light recommend just mm-hmm. uh, uh, for yeah being something different mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah it, it's ambitious a I'll bold experiment and I don't yeah. believe Hyperion makes another theatrical movie after this. So it it's huh. difficult to say whether it failed because I couldn't get a good handle on the budget. But uh, it might have been a, a modest success and then more and more modest as we move forward because it is streaming like everywhere. It's uh, You can stream it free if, on your Paramount Plus or really free on Pluto TV. Baby's Kids, I love it. And uh, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it happened. And what a great way to, uh, what a great way to immortalize a stand-up comedian when that really wasn't easy. I think we've seen that Comedy Central has made several attempts at animating stand-up bits, but I don't know <laughs> when that had happened before this. And... Uh, all right. Which comedian around today would you most want to see get an animated film? Uh, well, Bill Burr got a show, so he's out. Yeah. Um, oh, John Mulaney. Oh, he's got big I mouth. He's got big mouth. Um, I was going to say John Mulaney seems like a good fit for a wacky comedy, honestly. 
yeah i prefer his live action children's programming with the sack lunch bunch, sack lunch bunch. i would like him to continue doing that man who did who's, who's special did I just watch an hbo why am i forgetting your name liza schlesinger is that her name no nikki glazer that's who it was she, ah. give it to her because i really liked her recent special anyway moving on to uh, like a film that is profoundly weird for me uh, <laughs> natasha gregson wagner uh the greatest actor of all time steven root uh david arquette uh, David Arquette, uh, Randall. Uh, oh, Bat- yeah. We can before we even get into those. We can talk people who aren't even credited: Alexis Arquette, Seth Green, Ricky Lake, Ben Affleck, Hillary Swank. They're all in wow. This Randall Batnikoff, uh, uh, Michelle Abrams, oh, uh, Paris Vaughn, Hillary Swank, Paul Rubens. The reason I saw this, by the way, because it was like Pee Wee's return to the screen. It'd been a minute. Uh, Rudger Howard, Donald Sutherland, Luke Perry, and Christy Swanson in. The original movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's every girl's fantasy. I'm Pike. Hi. Hi. She's every vampire's nightmare. I'm the chosen one, and there are vampires? There's something going on around here. Something real weird. But together, they're turning a prom from hell. Strap them in the heart! Into a dream come true. Christy Swanson and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. So strange. So strange. Mash, uh-huh. Buffy. Yeah. Is that it for the only really successful TV shows to be based on movies? Shit. I know there's more. Yeah, oh, there's, there's a, a ton more. Parenthood yeah. ran two seasons. Um, two. I think it... it's in the 90s. And then its reboot ran like six or seven. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You, that, that could be that could be correct on on that end. Yeah, it, but yeah. this is such a strange movie to turn into a successful TV show, and I think that's yes. the only reason people remember this film. If there had been no TV I, show, I remember it. I was excited because Pee Wee was in it for real, okay. and then uh, I, we didn't see it in theaters. And then there was there was kind of a slow buzz. Like this is not bad because it sounded stupid on the surface. I, I, I didn't have that experience at all. I'm saying in like I, 1993, I it's not, I know. It's I, not I bad. I rented it somewhere around 1993 just because mm. of the title and probably because of Pee Wee. It's like, let's see his return. And I remember being unimpressed at the time. And then I became a huge fan of the TV show. Mm-hmm. I watched it again because I was like, maybe there was something there I missed. I was unimpressed then. And then I rewatched it for this show, and I'm still unimpressed. So this mm. film has unimpressed me yeah. three separate phases of my life. <laughs> yeah, the the fact that this became a TV show is some sort of miracle. Kind of a it's miracle. Five, five years later, it's not like they're you know striking while the iron is hot because this was a big old hit, and we well, want to see that. It's probably yeah. not so much a miracle in that Joss Whedon is writing and rewriting scripts all over town, whether he's credited or not from toy story to speed he is like everywhere as a writer but but to still take the gamble five years later on a property that no one has a ton of affection for there's not like there's a lot of buzz and he's like no 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 we want to go i want to go back and do my first thing better if it can work for highlander it can work for buffy god damn it and yeah, and <laughs> but no, Highlander is a cold hit when it became a TV I show. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, uh, so I, I have problems with this movie. Let me run through them. There's far too much slang. This mm-hmm. film hates teenagers. Mm. The TV show <laughs> sympathized with teenagers. It tried to get you in their heads. It had them be real people. This film just wants them to die. I, I don't think 
Christy Swanson, she's been good in other things. I don't think she plays this role well. I, I don't like think that. she's a good Buffy. Luke Perry is supposed to be the damsel in distress, but he's a better actor and he understands <laughs> his role more than she does. So he doesn't really succeed as that. I, it, I think that's that's the lore is all over the place. The yeah. what? Um, the, the lore, lore, the backstory, yeah. what what's going on with these vampires? It's it's not a coherent whole. And granted, the TV show had much more time to develop that, but there's been tons of good vampire lore and good vampire movies, and this isn't one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it definitely. Once the TV show took off, I kind of thought, well, there's no reason anyone would go back and watch this. Like, and and to go back now and be like, yeah, I see what they were going for and especially compare it to the show like okay i could see where things were changed i know joss whedon was wicked pissed off they took out so oh, yeah. much of his <laughs> so much of his humor because that's kind of his thing you know and, he was a writer uh, Roseanne. He donald was a comedy sutherland apparently rewrote most of his lines yep. and he and joss don't speak to each other to this day let it go, man. Yeah. Joss, if you can find any friends out there in the business, just take them. I guess my, my big complaint is, especially with the title, it should be sillier. And, yes. And yet, like, and it definitely has silly bits, but it also isn't. So it's like, make up your mind. There's, there's a couple moments with Pee Wee where, like, yeah. this should be the tone of the whole film. Yeah. And it's, it never is. Let's talk about the best part of this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pee Wee Herman's death scene. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> was hilarious. And if the whole movie had been that, that would have been a one. I, I think that's mm-hmm. what people remember most. Ooh, ah, Ooh, oh, ah. All I remembered <laughs> as a kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. That stuck with me. Pretty much nothing else did. Yeah. I think the silliest thing about it, I think I've heard it spoken of insidiously. Do you know how to pronounce the director's name? Fran Rubel. Kuzwi. Kuzwi and her, her husband and producing parser, partner, Kaz Kuzwi. She's made like this Tokyo Pop and produced Orgasmo. And that is it. Yet they are the, they, those two are the first people you see credited at the end of every, bu- not only every the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, every episode of Angel, solely because of their participation yeah. being put on this, making this movie unremarkable. They were, they became contractual executive producers. And I've, heard mumblings about it like no these fuckers made millions off the the successful show having not even not even like appearing at cons doing nothing literally nothing that that's that's not that unusual in hollywood in hollywood the highest desired job is often to be the director of a pilot yes because you direct a pilot of a tv show and it you paid becomes a hit you get paid for every episode of that tv show forever because you were there first but you were the one who helped but develop usually the think. person who directs a pilot does a good job and doesn't <laughs> almost ruin the entire franchise and that's not the case here and uh and they they not only like didn't do anything to help the show they have yeah. no involvement whatsoever yeah i don't know i just it's just so strange because you've seen if you watched buffy or angel you've seen their names uh what is it over a hundred times <laughs> at the end of literally every episode executive produced by blah blah blah, blah. well think of it this way they're being paid to not meddle I yeah guess. hey I guess. you guys no. really messed up the movie god Here's i want that job money. don't mess up the tv show god i want that oh. job uh, but should... i do i do want to say you know this is another example of hollywood's love affair with the valley 
where yeah. as someone who didn't live in California in yeah. the early 90s, it felt to me like Hollywood is saying, you like California. You love California. Live there. It's, you want to live there. It is. I mean, I we said the same thing with the title like Encino Man. It's like, dude, get over yourself. No one knows where any of this shit is or cares. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. At least have it be historical. Uh, but it, like, here's kind of a darkish horror themed comedy going up against another darkish horror themed comedy that yeah, I, I don't remember being weird. as successful as it is today but uh yeah it was well our next movie it was critically not loved it did make a whole bunch of money yeah because people went to see for the the effects spectacle yes and it, it's kind of more important for its visual effects than it is as a movie Yes. Except as a movie, it is a camp motherfucker. Dude, it holds up. I watch it every Halloween. It's why I love what, if maybe my favorite director of all time, Robert Zemeckis, he likes Mm -hmm. to grab things that help him innovate new technologies, even now. Isabella Mussolini, Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, and Meryl Streep. It's number one this week Death Becomes Her. They've discovered the secret to eternal beauty. No warning. But the side effects. You pushed me down the stairs. Can be deadly. Oh, damn. Just look at me. Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, and Goldie Hawn. Death becomes her. Death becomes her. Uh, a oh, wonderful I, film. Do, do you I, know what, which TV show this originally started out as an episode of? Tales from the Crypt, uh, produced by Robert did Zemeckis. The music, did the yeah. music just hint? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is so weird in retrospect, because uh, let me just start with the screenwriter David Cap, wow. the cinematographer, and the entire effects team at Industrial Light and Magic. <laughs> this is their test run for Jurassic Park. Yeah, 100%. Like, so they, many people that worked on this go yes. on to work at Jurassic they Park. They all go straight to Jurassic Park. A bunch of things that they, the computer stuff they developed for this, like skin textures. Skin. It's the all first, get thrown into Jurassic first Park. movie to do, to do CG effects skin that hadn't really happened yet yep and they they do it a lot but it's so weird that robert zemeckis would want to direct this because he doesn't seem to have a a big camp sensibility he doesn't do goofy melodrama he's coming off of what back to the future three yeah and and after this he does forrest gump and and this is just like he's done plenty of comedies and he definitely loves effects but this is so yeah you only use cars would prepare you for the madness that's in this film Yeah, but this movie is fucking bonkers from Mm -hmm. the jump. I mean, like I said at the beginning, it opens with Meryl Streep in a musical adaptation of Sweet Bird of Youth that is such a great number because it's so awful. Okay, I didn't think it was that bad. Maybe I just have horrible musical taste, but I was like, this is fine. This is a fine number. A lot of it is fine. And then it like when they start doing the hustle, you you need to go, oh, God, no. Also that it's Sweet Bird of Youth and they're acting like it's fine. It's like, ah, no, it's about people being incredibly depressed. The story is Meryl Streep is an aging actress and has this long, long rivalry with Goldie Hawn, which they keep showing in like, here's a scene. And then six years later, and then here's a scene, seven years later, and has stolen her man, Bruce Willis, who's playing a total nebbish. She's a a little miscast, maybe. No, this is Bruce Willis's chance to act. He's not playing Bruce Willis. He's Mm. playing a ultra non-Bruce Willis character. And I thought he played a good job being nebbish. It's just you have this diehard image of him, but that's not his Mm. acting. That's just your prior relationship with him. I think he's he's a fine actor. 
Oh, he's he's definitely putting in the effort. And uh, she goes to Isabella Rossellini and gets this potion that will make you beautiful forever. And then it turns into Looney Tunes. Yep. Very murderous Looney Tunes. I, I was going to say, I think Roger Rabbit has hints of this film in it because this is some crazy, wacky, schmackety special effects in live action, which really had not been seen in 1992 you know knocking someone's head so it flips back and then flips back forward the 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 amazing nature of that in 1992 cannot be stressed enough yeah i love describing the movie to people it's just like well what's it about like two immortal ladies fighting to the not death like (laughs) that's what the movie's about and dressed as gorgeous as they possibly can i mean i don't think Goldie Hawn has ever been hotter than she is in this film. Oh my God. She Just, looks ridiculous. Did I, you even see I'd House Sitter? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd forgotten there are some kind of mean fat jokes True. in it. You know, that she, she used to be much, much heavier. And although the makeup prosthetics on her look fantastic, like yeah. she looks yeah. like anyone I would see on the street. But then she becomes like ridiculously hot. And same with Meryl Streep and same with Isabella Rossellini. I up uh yeah they're all about my age yeah uh so <laughs> goldie oh, is 46 uh, in this film streep is 43 yeah isabella isabella's 40 i think and man i wish i could pull off that outfit she's wearing where her shirt is just a necklaces it's it's <laughs> become oh one that has become one of the more common Halloween costumes, or maybe just when I was in San Francisco. Uh, oh, yeah. Very, well, very common that's Halloween the thing. costume. This has a massive gay cult following. I am going to a drag show presentation of this, and I'm... Oh, great. Huh? It's going to be nuts, because that's kind of how they behave. That's kind of how Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn are so over the top and so dramatic that, yeah, they're basically drag queens, um, yeah. except that they look wicked hot. Uh, Not the drag queens that look wicked hot. There are some that are way more woman than I'll ever be. Yeah, but this film also does a really good job of catch, capturing uh, some people who are desperate to hang on to their youth. And mm-hmm. that didn't resonate with me in 1992 because I was 14. Mm-hmm. You know, I was immortal. But <laughs> as someone who feels the aches and pains of daily life or whatever, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that kept receding hairline just keeps going back further and further. I can kind of get it more, but these people are so over the top to it, but in a very well done way. So mm-hmm. I used to be operations manager of a non-surgical cosmetic medical center. All right, I can brag too. Off. Yeah. Botox and fillers, uh, yeah. Botox, fillers. And it's the only job I have ever felt genuinely skeezy for working at. Mm. Uh, I, I was in the car business for four years. I never had a problem with it. I have oh. a car. People need cars. Working at this clinic, it was so yucky. The things we sold that didn't have any basis in reality. Like there was one time I went to my boss because I researched things. I was like, hey, boss, I, I, I know we're going to be doing this thing, but I did the research and there's no evidence it does anything. And she just laughed at me and then looked at me, mm. didn't answer it, just laughed and looked and waited me to be silent and yuck. <laughs> Yuck, uh, yuck. Yeah. Um, Do you last long there? Um, no. So, yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I'd be depressed. But it's that certain mindset of clientele that we got in there who are just like so focused on every wrinkle, every little bit, and it's just not healthy. And, and mm -mm. this film does a great job of capturing that. It's weird because it is sort of uneven. It takes a better part of an hour before the, the meat of the film kicks in, which is the Looney Tunes violence. Mm -hmm. But those effects honestly hold up pretty dang well. Pretty There's okay. a couple spots here and there where they're like, eh, it's a little shaky. We would do that better now. But the whole that's been shot through Goldie Hawn's torso <laughs> that you can see through. And people, and she's like, throws a spear at her. And it goes into that. That is so hilarious. Because she cheers so that good. it went through it. And then she goes, yes, wait, no. Because it went through the hole. Uh, so I, I did watch <laughs> this with my daughter. And she loved it. It absolutely still works on kids today. It's a great film. And, you know, now that I think about it, is this Bobby Z's last comedy? Yeah, um, I think it is. Yeah. yeah Pretty sure guess, it is. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can argue Forrest Gump is uh, about 50% comedy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and Mars Needs a... Moms. <laughs> no. The, the studio-destroying movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think this is his last just absolutely straight comedy. And by comedy, I mean, it is so over the top. I saw one review of the time saying it was like, you know, if Dynasty, they just unsheathed machetes and started going after each yeah. other. And I was like, yes, that's exactly yeah. what should have happened on Dynasty. The, this is the kind of movie that I think Hollywood at the time would probably try and tone down. And yeah. if anybody other than Robert Zemeckis had made this film it would be so fucking boring and there'd be like one moment of what we're talking about which is i right. don't know if it would have gotten made yeah unless i, I think he needed one with his level of juice yeah. and his level of care about special effects i mean that's his thing he really does get into the technical aspect of filmmaking to a heavy degree and this is such a amazing example of the pre-digital revolution world because a lot of these things are not digital. There is some digital, but most of what yeah. you're seeing is practical effects and little things like there's a scene where a tire gets like three inches away from Goldie Hawn's face. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that, but mm -hmm. I watched that and I was like, I know this isn't digital, so that must be one hell of a driver. Or always going backwards. If you look at the Meryl Streep, they have it on YouTube the backwards model. It is a very skinny woman with her facing backwards with her face wrapped in a blue screen uh, material with big ping pong eyeballs that Bruce Willis is acting off of. It is astoundingly practical for the CG that it requires and, yeah. and, and really fun to look at the behind the scenes of because it oh, most yeah. of these and effects there's also, up. I mean, there are so many different models for different stages of even just one weird violent thing. Like there's, there's the actress, you know, who's got the blue smock on her head and there is a fully animatronic backwards headed mm. Meryl Streep mm -hmm. that there's also on YouTube. You can watch them of like, they're trying making it say lines with you know, recordings of her voice. And it is really, really good from a decent, De decent distance you would definitely think that's her yeah it's creepy uh there's also a lot of heart in this film the very end of the movie is set 37 years later so seven years from now people um at bruce willis's funeral and i have always been touched by that eulogy and it always stuck with me that bruce willis found uh, eternal life through the good works that he did in life and that he found eternal youth in his children and grandchildren. 
and that has always touched me. Would uh, would you all take the potion? Uh, no, probably I'm, not. No, I'm waiting to embrace death, not defy it. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I don't think so. Given the rules of the potion in this movie, I would never take it because eventually no. you're going to have an accident, and then I'm just a zombie for the rest of existence. And no. that's sounds god awful but according to those rules of the movie you can like prick yourself and put a drop and get like young hands so i would totally mm. like prick my knees and drop in yeah. my knees so suddenly Ooh. young knees again yeah i'd do that just fix it bits yeah. and bobs yeah that's yeah. that's a pretty good idea this movie got changed so much between the trailer coming out they cut a whole bunch of stuff to try to keep it nice and lean and mean. So it's one of those where if you watch the trailer, there's whole scenes yep. that do not exist in this movie. There's a whole subplot with Tracy Ullman that got cut. And they went back and they put in a darker ending after test audiences didn't like a happy ending. I love that. But I think there's a pretty decent uh, Shout Factory DVD with a lot of that cutting room floor stuff on it. There's actually a lot of the cutting room floor stuff has not come out. Really? Zemeckis is just like, nope, that's the movie. I'm not going to show you the alternate ending now. All right. All right. Zemeckis for 30 years. Yeah, but there there is a good Shout Factory DVD. And it's weird because, like, my recollection of this, I remembered all of the, you know, the fighting, the youth stuff, the, the bitchiness. And I'd forgotten there is an all-time great scene with Sidney Pollock in this as a doctor in the emergency room. Yeah. It is a comedy workshop. <laughs> that everyone who is an aspiring actor should watch of how to react to something ridiculous. It's so goddamn funny. Cause he's like, okay, let's see what your problem is here. Well, your body temperature is about 80 and <laughs> not hearing a pulse. And he's like checking this stethoscope. Does it work? Oh God, my ear. Okay. No, no. Goes, throws the stethoscope away, gets another one. Mm, no. Oh, Oh, what's that sticking out here? Oh my God. There's a bone in your neck sticking. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, let me get back to you about this. Pretty sure you're dead. <laughs> yeah, and, and then there's a hilarious scene where Bruce Willis runs out to try to find him, and Ooh. he's had a heart attack just because yeah. he's overwhelmed by everything. Yeah. This film is a gem. I don't get 1992's audiences for not embracing it more than they did because it, it wasn't a huge bomb, but it wasn't a hit, and there's yeah, so it much money eventually overseas just because it's got big stars in it. But I liked it. On. I liked it on video immediately. And oh, I, I, I was a fan from day one. This is me entering my full on pop culture awareness, reading Starlog, <laughs> reading Phantasmagora. And I think they had some articles on this just because like everyone who was in the special effects biz was like, this is amazing. This is a huge thing. And I was into that at the time because, yeah, honestly, there was no more interesting time to read about special effects than the early 90s. That was, I don't think that period is ever going to be as exciting to be a special effects fan because mm -hmm. I, I like the process of movies. I like learning how they were being made. And every year it seemed like there were such huge breakthroughs that it was just amazing to be a fan of something at that time. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point because we're at the intersection of digital is getting so good, but prosthetics are so good too like they're as good as they're ever going to be it seems like mm -hmm. like they're so real and yeah the makeup work the prosthetics and, and the animatronics and it's so good in this but yeah turns out um i love this period of meryl streep i don't know what was going on with her if she just <laughs> decided to go have fun but we have the run of what she devil she devil postcards uh, from the edge from the edge defending your life and then this defending your life. wow she's just, she's just wow. those she's are all my fun. favorite meryl streep movies yeah 
Devil Wears Prada? I haven't seen it. Come in 2006, I think, after this. This is kind of the last comedy she does for a while, and then she comes back. But she's basically playing the same character. It's pretty much that. If you like Devil Wears Prada, sweet Jesus, you need to watch this. Yeah. Watch it, people. Death becomes her. So uh, I've decided I'm going to try and do one dad joke per show now. Highly doubt that, but continue. So I watched Death Becomes Her. And this film hasn't aged a bit. Hey, I gotta get a sound effect ready next time. <laughs> nice slide whistle there. What do you, what do you want? <laughs> you took her to the morgue. She's gonna be so angry. Uh, <laughs> moving on to TV of 1992. It's the summer. It's 92. Not not much can be expected, except to be the best. That's a terrible segue into a two-part miniseries called To Be the Best with Anthony Hopkins and Lindsay Wagner. Yeah, a department store heiress tries to get control of her empire when a vindictive cousin comes into play. It's on YouTube. I started watching it, and the sets just look so fake to me. Now, when I go see a play, obviously those sets look fake and i don't care i'm at a play what is this fucking ar- get- this ladder in this r town play <laughs> but when you get to a point in a tv show these days where you just don't care about badly made sets <laughs> mm. yeah I, yeah yeah sometimes i do it just it depends on what's going on i don't know yeah it's harder i, I don't know <laughs> i think this is like a made for british tv thing and so i have the same thing of like re-watching i claudius and it's like it's on bad video it's the sets are real dumb but I'm it's coming through at like 70 frames a second for some reason oh man it's yeah <laughs> it's not look good but i'm into the story so i can pay attention i'm fine uh the mystery science theater episode hercules unchained uh it's so uh joel has two favorite episodes. One is I Accuse My Parents. The other is Hercules Unchanged. And the reason I think is because the Hercules movies were big in his youth. These weren't little dinky things. These were successful films. And if you look at them, you know, they're high budget. And J.R. Math Time, in 1992, mm-hmm. MST3K did three... Hercules movies. Steve One of them came out in 1964, 28 years before the episode. So we are now further away from these episodes than they were from the movies they were making fun of. It's true. I already realized that when the I finally had the moment where like, oh, I'm watching a Mystery Science Theater 2000 episode where they're watching a movie I paid to see opening day in the theater. I, <laughs> when did I become okay. Gilbert Godfrey all of a sudden? This is probably my favorite genre of MST3K films. If it's fantasy or sword and sorcery, for whatever reasons, I think those are the best rippable. I just love this series. And yeah, the Hercules movies are good enough to be a good bad watch. I mean, this is also one of my favorites and by far my favorite of the Hercules movies because it's a lot of those Hercules movies have some stretches where they get real boring and this one never does. It just stays silly the whole the whole way yeah. through. They do have a little fun in this episode where Hercules is is macking on some lady and the robots try to get Joel to say what happens after the screen fades to black. And they're like, <laughs> Joel, in Hercules in bondage, what happens after that? <laughs> And Joel is like, it's called Hercules Unchanged. And, you know, they uh, they told secrets to each other. That's what they did. And, uh, and then lastly, something I was looking forward to missed. And because of the nature of the way things were, it was never able to see again. Defenders of Dinatron City, the cartoon special to tie into the LucasArts game franchise. 
I don't know why they did things. They occasionally things would happen backwards, like with this and Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Like, <laughs> let's make a game and then make a cartoon out of it. No, you fools. Yeah, they were really thinking Defenders of Dinatron City was going to be bigger than it was because they also did a. I thought it was too. Comic series mm-hmm. and this cartoon stars Whoopi Goldberg and Tim Curry. Yay! You know, the, the, they were really. It feels like they were trying to be like, we'll copy the success of the X-Men. But the X-Men animated cartoon hadn't even been out yet. Um, I think it was more trying to bring the charm of their games to make those into kind of a mass media event. And I think the NES was not LucasArts' specialty. And animation is barely Deke's specialty. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the world of Defenders of Dinatron City seems like the Fallout world if everything went Right. Why does the engine glow like that, Mommy? <laughs> because it's radioactive. Wow! Yes, remember, Timmy, here in Dynatron City, Mr. Atom is our friend. <laughs> hey, looks like I just got that extra hand I've always needed. He grew extra arms. <laughs> and it's all good. Uh, the cartoon also has zero problems making fun of how they completely intend to sell out and milk this franchise to the bone. Say, let's make the defenders of Dinatron City a permanent team with a headquarters and cool vehicles and official decoder rings and fan clubs and everything. Now that's my kind of sellout. All right, all right. So buy our merch. Buy our merch. <laughs> Buy our merch. Yeah. So are they are they just superheroes? Is that yeah? They're, they're, okay. they're superheroes, it's but it's one of the, the guys who came out. Like, did he work on Monkey Island and uh, uh, Sam and Max? Steve Sam and Max. Steve. Per- oh, Steve okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. The the Dinatron makes me think. So there's robot dinosaurs, but no. No, no. no. It, it it looks like so. It looks like Goofy Avengers. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, they are trying to make fun of the superhero genre, mm-hmm. definitely. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, moving into video games of the week, uh, Defenders of Dinatron City comes out on NES. The only reason I was Which aware of this not, property to begin with. Not a good game. That, no. the, the, it, it, you awkwardly destroy people and then you keep moving. And it's a timed game. This was the height of my love of superheroes and my love of LucasArts games and my love of Marvel. And the idea of putting my chocolate and my peanut butter together was so exciting, but it did not work. Yeah, man. I was bitterly disappointed. Like no good game. Marvel games on ES. It doesn't happen. Also, weird bit of backwards lateral movement. Gargoyles Quest 2 for the NES, the sequel to the Game Boy version. Yeah. yeah so this is a really <laughs> weird series. You can probably comment on this, but is this Please the only game series which has a trilogy on different platforms each time? Because you got Gargoyles 1 on Game Boy, Gargoyles 2 yeah, I suppose so. And yes, and three is on Super Nintendo. Yeah, technically, technically, even though it's a spinoff of Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, you play the Red Demon from the start of Ghost and Goblins. And I remember I had to be told that they're different from the one. Never mind, I'm not talking about this. Well, let uh, me ask: do, Does what's his name Firebrand, Firebrand have any fans? I don't know that this is Firebrand. Okay. Or 
it's just a red error because apparently there's a lot of insane distinctions <laughs> uh, internally. I don't, I don't remember and I don't care. Uh, you didn't and, have like fans calling you up in the middle of the day saying, why aren't you making more firebrand? No, no, that, 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 <laughs> but it was weird. Cause when we were doing something, uh, we were just playing, uh, doing something to capture video. The older folks know, no firebrand and ghosts and goblins more so that that was like the best looking game of 1985 so if you were old enough to remember that you care about this character and franchise and he hasn't done a lot since so why would you care i gotta say it's one of the most gorgeous nes games i've seen yeah man the so, same with the uh, demon's crest and then casino kid 3 you go around the world fighting other casino champions you know that's a thing right casino champs what? Casino champs. The casinos love them. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> Contra Force is out. The third, but not third game. Yeah, Bill and Lance are nowhere to be found. You're not fighting an alien menace. I don't know. I, it's considered I... non-canon. It is not part of the Contra collection. And there's far more slowdowns than the original Contra from like seven years ago. So I don't know. Yeah, it, looks, it seems like something that may have been uh, made exclusively for the American market to capitalize a little more quickly off of whatever the contra phenomenon was becoming but not good enough to release overseas music of 1992 baby got back by sir mix a lot is still number one new releases include this week uh, march 16th to the 20th 1992 by uncle tupelo uh welcome to wherever you are by in excess and new miserable experience by the gin blossoms that seems early it but, does, but it's not. I remember because nope, it's just here, bitches. It's one of the few albums like I had two of because by the time it became popular, they had reissued the entire album with a mm-hmm. completely different cover and a different sleeve. Here we are. It's alternative time, everyone. Yeah, Tin Blossoms were there first, and let's close mm-hmm. out with some "Hey Jealousy," a goddamn great song. Be right back with 2002. Don't go away. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Come on up for the rise. Come on up, lay your hands in mine. 
Coming in with uh, The Rising uh, by Bruce Springsteen. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but that's, that song, just come on up for the ride. It's just so Bruce. It's, it's hilarious. Dad's a big fan. We listen to it a lot in our household. Off the album of the same name, which was on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums, album list, until it got bumped in 2020 because it was very 9-11-y. Yeah, I was going to mention that. We're not even a year post 9-11, and this is the kind of thing that people want. Gravitate towards. Yeah. Makes them feel better. Americana. We can do this, guys. Also new releases out for July 29th through the 4th. On 2000, we're in 2002. I should say that. New releases include All I Have by uh, Amory. Am- Amory? Yeah. The Amalgamut Omel- by Filter. The Amalgamut. Uh, back to Then, the first solo album by Darius Rucker. That's Hootie. Reanimation by Linkin Park, self-titled by The Coral, and to serve Man, the debut of Cattle Decapitation. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, which... Kids will love it. Like like so many Death Grind and Grindcore albums, I enjoy the titles of the songs so much more than I enjoy the songs. This album Please. opens with Testicular Manslaughter. Yeah! <laughs> oh! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then it goes into I Eat Your Skin and Writhe and Putrescence. Everyone Deserves to Die, Regurgitation of Corpses. Your yeah. parents are going to be very supportive of this music. Hot and Hear Her by Nelly is still number one. 2002 News. Check this out. Polary Corporation, formerly who the Trump administration had... Uh, conscripted to make our COVID vaccine. That was fun, right? No cronyism there. Uh, Polaroid Corporation is purchased in bankruptcy by uh, One Equity Partners, continuing to operate under the Polaroid Corporation name. Yeah, yeah. So the Polaroid business model was the razor blade business model. Mm -hmm. They sold their cameras at near cost, and they made their money selling new film for those cameras. And at their height, they controlled two-thirds of the instant camera market just imagine more yeah and how fast that fell apart from 1991 was the height of their business Mm -hmm. yeah and in 2001 they're bankrupt well because 2002 they're purchased out of bankruptcy pretty much just for the name recognition Mm -hmm. and Uh, and where we are now they're kind of back and kind of trendy so they stopped all production in 2008, but then a side project to them said, hey, let us continue. And they said, okay, you can continue, but your name is The Impossible Project. And that's literally their name, <laughs> The Impossible Project, went on to success and eventually buy back what remained of Polaroid in the late teens. And now it's back as this little niche market. Yeah, I got these all over my house. The ex got into it and got... Most of the other ladies in my life into it briefly, but yeah, Instamatic, inst, insta, Instagram. Can you believe it? And like, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> I, I already had one of these bad cameras. Like, I, I don't want another one. The film is not good. These are not no. good photos. I mean, no. I remember as a young laugh. kid being like, "Dad, we have to get these. The photographs will be instant." And he's like, "But they're bad photographs, son. Yeah, you can have my old <laughs> camera. It's a great camera." It's like a $200 camera, and I'll give it to you as a 10-year-old. I'm like, no, I want a Polaroid for my birthday. And I got one, and he was so disappointed in me. Then I realized, oh, God, it's like half the price of the camera to put fucking film in it. I can't yep. afford this. Literally can't yep. afford this. Back to Insta cameras for me. Yeah, anyway, Polaroid, ladies and gentlemen. Dead, back from the dead, 
Back from the Dead again. Uh, who knows? <laughs> 2002 movies. Let's get it going. Full Frontal, Star Studded Affair, Jerry Weintraub, David Fincher, Terrence Stamp, David Allen Bash, uh, Jeff Garland, Enrico uh, Colantoni, Blair Underwood, Julia Roberts, David I. Pierce, Mary McCormick, uh, Catherine Keener, Nikki Cat, David Coveney. Is this, is this a Soderbergh thing? Yep, this is a Soderbergh thing. Uh, it is filmed in handheld digital camera. I remember. So it looks terrible it, looks... it looked rough then and today it is like oh there's like no reason to watch it except to yes. see like oh all these people are together but even the reviews of the time they were like what the fuck yeah what what the... we love you steven soderbergh what the fuck are you doing like i know you like making four movies a year but don't do it like this it looks like you shot it on a polaroid camera for fuck's sake <laughs> yes and uh this shouldn't have happened and samantha b should still have a show so there I yeah say. Uh, fuck? yeah. Uh, granted, I haven't yeah, had cable and I've watched it on YouTube for <laughs> the last few years, so whatever. Yeah, but in a full frontal of the movie, it's you know, Hollywood people being Hollywood, it's an experiment, and it's uh, yeah. if uh, there's sometimes I really like these experiments, like Boyhood, and then sometimes they're Steven Soderbergh movies, like Time Code or Full Frontal, <laughs> and very yeah. unsatisfying, unrewatchable experiences. Yeah, he's trying something, yeah, and it's fun to try stuff. Speaking of trying stuff, yeah. catchphrases. Martin Lawrence live, run, tell, dat. Never caught on as much as You So Crazy. But uh, his it's his second movie since You So Crazy, the one of the most controversial movies, period, of my my entire life. And it's just a stand-up movie. And this came out in theaters, and no one complained. Just It's just very odd. I don't know exactly how it performed. I know I saw it. It performed great. Yeah. It made a ton of money. Yeah, I bet. I, I mean, I couldn't have cost anything to make <laughs> starring one no. guy on in one place up against the next comedy which is speaking uh, of something that cost nothing no money and so, is one of the most profitable films of all time yes five million dollar budget 368 million worldwide wow yeah something like a six thousand percent return on investment <laughs> yeah is this is this is Crocodile Dundee numbers, people. I'm sorry, that's yeah. my only frame of reference. The uh, most successful romantic comedy of all time. Mm-hmm. Period. Uh, Period. I'm wondering if people can guess what it is. Andrea Martin, Michael Constantine, John Corbett, and Nia Vardalos. My big fat Greek wedding. You're cordially invited to America's funniest new comedy. If you hurt her, I'll kill you and make it look like an accident. Hey, Ian, we're gonna kill you. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Heartfelt and hilarious. It's a mosquito bite. It's a zip. One party you shouldn't miss. He's a rabbit! Four stars. Oh! My big fat Greek wedding. Rated PG. It's, yeah, I, it's fucking interesting to me that this took off the way it did because I saw it and just like, this is fine. If this was yeah. a play, which it was, I would be like, that's pretty fucking great. Uh, what, a, what a cool play. But as a movie, it just, you know, I was... I was whelmed, uh, perfectly whelmed by it. But this... It had a really weird success story. Yeah. So it opened with a gross of 600000 and then it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it reached $11 million. Yeah. Now, most time, movies open and then they drop. Even huge successes like Endgame drop like 30 40%. Yeah. But this had the opposite. 
it just kept growing and staying around in theaters, which is not common in 2002 it's at not all. Not common no. now. I think I think Crazy Rich Asians had some of that success story, or, but that was only in like how little it dropped every week. I don't think it made more week over week like this did throughout the rest of the fucking summer. Like this yeah. was just this through the rest of the year. Through the rest this of the year, one of the highest grossing films of all time that never was number one. Wow! It just yep. burned on word of mouth over everyone. They loved. They saw it. They loved it. They told five friends. They all went to see it together. They loved it, and like a virus, it spread. And the marketing, I think, they did really cleverly at the end, where it says, "My big fat Greek." A lot of the ads, it would flip through a bunch of ethnicities really fast. My big fat Jewish, Polish, Mexican, mm. Greek wedding, because it's like. Every ethnic person can relate yeah. to this somehow. Well, this does the thing where it is super specific. And by super specific to the Greek immigrant community in America, it's universal. Yeah. Because it's so dialed in to that immigrant experience. Pretty much any immigrant experience can be related to that experience that we see in this film. And, yeah, uh, the idea of just having a big ethnic family that you're kind of embarrassed by, but you know their eccentricities it turned are actually very lovable. The idea that dad thinks if you spray Windex on things, it will cure them. You know, <laughs> yeah, everyone's got like a weird uncle that does that, or you know, Andrea Martin is the aunt who is like, oh, he's a vegetarian. Okay, I'll make lamb. And it's like, what? God, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's adorable. It started as a one woman play mm -hmm. that Rita Wilson saw. And she really liked it. And she came back with Tom Hanks and they bought it. And, and they're like, let's make a movie. I love that story. Like one of the most profitable comedies of all time. And most of that money went to Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, who didn't, who needed more money. They, they, <laughs> they just did. They just did. Well, I, I, but they also, they stood by their creator because yeah. other producers were saying like, well, who the fuck is Nia Vardalos? Yeah, let's She's, cast a star, baby. Yeah, let's, let's cast a star. And they're like, no, she the, she has lived this. She brings authenticity to it, and and they stuck by her. And I'm sure, yeah, Marissa Tomei would have been wonderful, but it wouldn't quite be right. No, it's real. It feels real. I feel like this woman lived through these events, you know. Yeah. And it went on to be turned into a TV show, mm. kind of the opposite of Buffy, and the opposite of the success of this yeah. thing, because the TV <laughs> show started out as a huge ratings thing because it yeah. was in the top 10 but wow. then it dropped every single week after week mm -hmm. after week and then it was dropped after uh an incomplete I, first I season i thought i'd read nia vardalos like after like the third or fourth episode like please cancel this like <laughs> this is we cannot do this every week this is not going to be good but it kept the same cast of the movie yeah. everyone except the husband he yeah. was recast but everyone else was like yeah Let's do the TV show. Everyone except yeah. Aiden. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Michael Constantine. He's one of those guys that, who plays a dad. Is been a hey, it's that guy for like forty years. You know, he's the one who curses you to be Phoenix. He's been around forever, and he's so fun. So, but yeah, Lainey Kazan and Andrea Martin. Like, yeah, these are all people who've just been around forever and can do everything you, you need an ethnic person oh i can do an accent what am i bulgarian oh it's, yeah no problem got it um speaking of accents speaking of accents i wish we could have reversed oh. our schedule last week and you could have seen this before gold member i really want to talk about that because yeah <laughs> i ripped into gold member pretty hard and you defended it because you love the creator so much mm -hmm. and i feel 
I we both feel I think yeah. the same way that I love Dana Carvey as much, if not more, mm-hmm. than Mike Myers. And yet, and yet, it, it and yet here's 1% our look at our because ca- look at our cast. We got our first uh, Jan- one percent. We got we got our first January sixth insurrection uh, member, Jay Johnston. Congratulations, yeah. uh, Keenan Thompson, which I love that he's here. Mark Devine, Michael Bailey Smith, Maria Canals Barrera. Edie McClurg, Austin Wolf, yeah. Brett Spiner, James Brolin, Harold Gould, Jennifer Esposito, right. and Dana Carvey in The Master of Disguise. On August 2nd, some know him as a master of disguise, but his teacher knows him as... Buffoon! Dana Carvey is... I'm Prince Lalejama. It is time to test that. Oh, it's not a problem. of disguise. Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? <laughs> turtle, turtle. Oh, turtle legacy. Brown face. Huh? Uh, uh, yeah, advertised with the brown face, everybody. Yeah. They're proud of the brown face. 20 years ago. Brown. Yeah, something mm-hmm. to crow about. Uh, yeah, this this is... Dana Carvey is <laughs> the best SNL performer in the history of the show. Period. Maybe Keenan Thompson, who's also in this movie, but... To me, they're both like they embody the exact same things that they disappear into a character yet have ways of smiling at you through this unbreakable performance that I just love. They make me happy all the time. I think Dana Carvey really is, if if, tied with Keenan at the at, at least the best SNL sketch member of all time, he has made the worst movies. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have ever seen in my life. His, unlike Mike Myers, his brand of whatever doesn't translate super well to the big screen. And I, if you know the story of Dana Carvey, he just sort of, you know, he had a bunch of heart problems. Like, I made enough money. I'm going to go hang out with my family. I'll do stand up when I feel like it. I don't need to be a movie star. And this is sort of after that, where like Adam Sandler is doing a favor to one of his friends, and Dana Carvey was like, the big the big guy at SNL when Adam Sandler came in. And as if you don't know about Dana Carvey, he was the best guy at SNL and very kind to everyone. So everybody who's ever known him loves him. Uh, nothing, nothing bad to say about Dana Carvey. Except this movie, which is a poorly strung together series of sketch comedy characters. It just, it's, yeah, it's indefensible. I think that's my complaint is the poorly put together like the idea of dana carvey is some sort of master spy who's super good at disguising himself disappear into another person and and he does so many and it's just a a setup to do a bunch of impressions okay why is the setup so bad and then the (laughs) excuses for the bits so bad and then the payoffs so bad why is he named pistachio disguisey I mean, I, I think it shows know. you the kind Why of work that went into the script. Here. I like him. I don't know. Why does Brent... Why does Data fart so much in this film? <laughs> mm. uh, I hate talking I about I don't this. know. I hate disparaging Dana Carvey in any way. Why was the turtle scene literally filmed on September 11, <laughs> 2001? I I'm always thought that was an urban that legend. I it, it checks out. It was confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no! It was confirmed. They that was their first scene back after nine eleven, and oh, they had a moment of silence. Oh. They were in pre production on nine eleven, but they it's their first day back filming, and they had a moment of silence while he's standing there in that turtle costume. Is there a video and that's of this? Important part. That's the important part. Is there is a <laughs> oh. moment of silence where he's dressed as a turtle? 
if 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 Dana Carvey ever gets a big budget biopic, I want that uh, to be a scene uh, in that. Yeah, just him in that turtle outfit, oh. observing a moment of silence. Yeah, if, uh, I don't know if he's a Catholic. If he could cross himself, but he can't <laughs> reach because of his arms. Oh, I just want him to get one more haircut in real life. Just Dana, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, does he have a single good starring role no. in a film? No. Period. And and not like other than Wayne's World, yeah. uh, no, not even a little bit. I mean, uh, I feel like Blank Slate is the closest. Clean Slate, Clean Slate, and, and, and no, I had the poster in no. my room as part of my SNL collection. No, Trapped in Paradise, no. no. Road to Wellville, definitely no. Um, so no, this is an hour and twenty minute film, <laughs> but but the credit sequence is fifteen minutes long. So that means it is only 65 minutes of actual movies. Oh, my God. The longest episode of The Sopranos, White Cap, without <laughs> credits, is 73 minutes. So this is literally less than a TV show. The Screen Actors Guild defines a feature as a minimum of 80 minutes. So that's Whoa. why we got the 15 minutes of, of credits. The oh. Academy defines it as a minimum of 40 minutes. Really? Which, I didn't know it was 40. I thought it was 60. But that was uh, this is what I got okay. off of, uh, Wikipedia. I can believe it. So, yeah. 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 So uh, technically, mm. that means uh, Dark Dungeons could have been nominated for Best Picture. It wasn't. Why wasn't? But technically, it could have made it. Why was, uh, yeah. Yeah. But this is uh, Dana Carvey. It was supposed to be his like kind of comeback. It's playing to his strengths. Yeah. Obviously, he's doing a ton of different characters. But there's there's not really many movies that work like this. The best thing Dana Carvey ever did after SNL is the Dana Carvey show. Amen. It's one of the best sketch comedies of all time. It's where he works best. He just he just hosted guest hosted Jimmy Kimmel last week. Oh. And and I love him so much, but even he has to remark all these great impre fun impressions that he does like everyone is dead. Everybody you oh. impersonate is dead. It it's God damn, he has coasted for a long time off of uh, that period of SNL. But I still yeah. think he's he's the greatest. Nobody says live from New York like Saturday night. It's Saturday night like Dana Carvey because he screams Dude. it. Yeah, please, please avoid Master of Disguise. Please yeah, watch Too Too Funny to Fail, the documentary yes, about the Dana Carvey show. That's really was fascinating. Uh, my final fun fact about Master of Disguise is that the original ending, so throughout this film, Grandpa has been disguising himself as a dog. And the original ending was going to be guilting Grandpa to pretending to be a dog for the rest of his life. <laughs> uh, this, ha this has a 1% of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and I judge you 1%. That's the real 1%. Roger Ebert gave it one star. Uh, Mike Nelson, the head writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, called it the third worst comedy ever made. It, it is strikingly awful and not in a way that's fun to watch it 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 hurt mm -mm. and it's available on hbo max and lastly but not leastly I... another movie i am just frustrated with mm -hmm. um, one of the most frustrating movies for me because there's so much good and there's so much crap yeah Why? uh m night Shyamalan, cherry jones abigail breslin rory culkin joaquin phoenix mel gibson it's number one at the box office it's signs for years, the signs have been appearing. On August 2nd, the world will discover their meaning. 
Look at where it's bent over. Can't be by hand. It's too perfect. And what one man believes. Oh! Don't be afraid of what's happening. They save his family. They're in the house. Mel Gibson. Here it comes. M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? Glass of water. Glass of water. All right. Are we gonna are we gonna do what everyone else has done and, and talk yeah. about the water? Uh, no, we, I know. I we well, okay. So I got a message ahead of this from someone saying, Does it help the movie if you don't think of them as aliens, you think of them as like demons? And that's a popular theory that these and that, are yeah, not really aliens, they're demons because Mel Gibson's character is a priest, he's dealing with a loss of faith. And if you take it from that point of view, yeah, it, it seems a better fit. But that's, I yeah. feel, a tact on explanation that the movie doesn't really want to. I guarantee yeah. M. Night Shyamala was not, what a twist! They are demons, yeah. not aliens. Because otherwise yeah. he would have shown that. <sighs> yeah, because he's really leans into showing things that's like i got it you didn't you didn't need to show me that so i rewatched it with that in mind and it did help only to help explain why if they didn't come from space they wouldn't see that we're 70 percent water here so it would make a little more sense why any aliens would come here it's like us going to venus with no spacesuits it's just it's it venus makes rains no sense. Acid. okay it, yeah. venus will kill us because it rains acid and it's like yeah. it rains whatever kills these aliens on our planet like at any given time yeah and it's in, in unpredictable patterns it rains acid from the sky for them also the planet's acid we're 70 percent acid we die if we don't drink acid we have taps full of acid in our house <laughs> one of our favorite things to do is go swimming in acid and go in acid lazy rivers <laughs> and we have acid uh, acid amusement parks where we, we go on the park. acid rock right acid rides and we go we we're covered in acid I and love we throw acid. balloons full of acid at each other for fun wow yeah yeah i know it's like it's so obvious but so if that doesn't bother you <laughs> and it did it, it, all right i think i've got that out of my system okay. it was it was never that big a deal for me it just it felt like a decent maturation of M. Night Shyamalan as a filmmaker because it's like the first movie I don't think he wrote backwards mm -hmm. and it's it's just very satisfyingly told. I remember I I loved it previously. Well that's yeah, why he I was so being called the next Spielberg. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The next mm -hmm. Spielberg. Yeah. And that's why I'm so frustrated with it because its highs are really high. Yeah. And there's sloppy dialogue and dumb things happening. And besides but, just the, the, the aliens being really stupid. It, but then there's some really good part. Like Abigail Breslin, she's like five. She's fantastic. And just the idea of what would it be like to live through like an Independence Day type in alien invasion when you're out in bumfuck nowhere. And obviously they're not coming here first. That I want that movie. That's yeah. the movie I want. I run with that idea. There's so much there. I don't think she does a bad performance with her lines, but yeah. do you remember the children from E.T. and how we talked about how real uh, those children felt like? Yeah. I'm not sure M. Night has ever met a child in his life. These children mm. do not act like children. They mm. act like plot devices to give meaningful dialogue. Hey, we have to record over your favorite uh, VHS tape because someday you're going to need to show your children the most important day in world history. That's a line said by an eight-year-old, okay? Mm -hmm. that, yeah. that, that is not how eight-year-olds talk. 
Yeah. Well, that's almost the thing with multiple M. Night Shyamalan movies, which is like the kids are always smarter than the adults. Mm. And also they come down to having faith. Like if you if you want to find a theme in some of his movies, it's the having faith. I, I think he's religious he, or not. He, his faith. first movie was like a religious film. Yeah. Was it not? I mean, and it's, it's where the it's also a, not quite a religious faith, but I mean, he's a Hindu guy who went to a lot of Catholic school. And so there's definitely like some strong Catholic levels of faith and I guilt mean, that, and that stuff is, going on here. That is the surprise ending of the movie. Like, be more Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the, that's the, what I thought was weird. Uh, about yeah, the film. I think a lot of the dialogue is shaky. I mean, the performances, they range. Sometimes they go too big. Sometimes they don't. It's weird that like Joaquin Phoenix had to come in very last minute because it's supposed to be Mark Ruffalo. But then he had I did not even notice this, that he had um, a tumor behind his ear that he had to have Whoa. surgery to remove. And that's why his face is slightly paralyzed in spots. Like I... if you notice the, the the one corner of his mouth doesn't open quite so much when he talks. I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't know. that's. Oh, I, I kind of go to sleep until he becomes the Hulk and they fix it. I, I did not realize that that was an actual medical thing. I thought that was just sort of how he acts. Okay. I did not know that. Brad, good for him. Yeah. Facial paralysis is pretty fucking hard when you're an actor. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it is interesting though. I mean, in retrospect, that this is kind of the last Mel Gibson is a movie star we see for him hmm. because he goes off and starts directing more. Okay. From here. Okay. He does. Passion of the Christ like and Apocalypto. Yeah. And then there's the incident. Which one? Then there's uh, the, the other incident. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, there's the first <laughs> the first big incident. It's like this is yeah, we're kind of at the end of Mel Gibson movie star. That is true. That, that is very Ooh. strange to think of this as his swan song. Because I mean, I have yeah. to imagine him being in this helps it this makes a shitload of money. Yeah. Like more than my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> um, yeah. And and coming after Unbreakable, which made a bunch of money, but was considered like not as impressive. You know, it's a sophomore slump. Where, well, even was, though I think Unbreakable is way better than this. Well, and it was treated like an indie, and this was treated like a summer ten pole. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Good point. And it, it did it did those kind of numbers. And I I I didn't get a chance to rewatch it because I kind of don't want to confront any of that about because I, <laughs> I I just remember being like, yeah, in love with M Night Shyamalan during this period, and this being like. Okay, you're not just like a one note guy. You can you can do this, and then it all gets worse from here. It's just oh, I just so frustrated. Like someone like do another draft of the script, but I think that just everyone is telling him that he's such a fucking genius, and that he's you know no one's there to tell him no, and just like get an editor, co get a co writer to help you with some of this stuff because yeah, the dialogue is really rough and like. There's parts, the parts that are good are so good. I can't say it's a bad movie. It's mm -hmm. not a bad movie, but it's mm -hmm. not. This shouldn't have propelled his star forward the way it did. This mm -hmm. people should not have been saying he's the next Spielberg after this. They should have been like, that was an OK film with some problems. Yeah. It's <laughs> like the directing is good. It's the, it's the writing that was a problem. Maybe try directing someone else's stuff. Yeah. Does Spielberg write his own stuff? No. Very, no. very, very, very rarely does he have a credit for that stuff. Like a couple times. Ooh. Yeah. Sign. Well, you know what so, it did give yeah, us? It did sign. give us uh, my favorite thing about it at this point, because mm -hmm. I did see it recently. Uh, you remember his, in the beginning, his wife is pinned by a car. <laughs> and if the car moves back, her, in, her innards will fall out and she dies. 
It gave it's us so clumsy. I mean, a... there's no better way to have her give his her her last words to Mel Gibson. That's that's the only way. It's <laughs> so what it did. If you if you're a fan of Reno 911, I think it's a recurring sketch with Patton Oswalt pinned up against a car by another car, and if the car moves, he dies. But all he wants to do is complain about movies. Uh, and, and, <laughs> uh, it, yes, movie snob crash. You can look it up. That's an enduring legacy of signs, ladies and gentlemen. Reno nine one one. Yeah, and just why? Why is M Night in this in an important role? He, like it's he, so distracting. He does that more in every movie from here. Well, it wouldn't yeah. have worked. May not have worked in the village because that was a lie being told to us. But oh man, he casts yeah. himself as the the writer in Lady in Water, who is a oh, miracle maker. God. Yeah, that's that's the point where like a producer needs to step in and be like, (laughs) bro, stop it. Stop blowing yourself on screen. Like he has a tiny, he's a very, very tiny role in Sixth Sense. And you don't know that it's him. And that's fine. But it's, he's so distracting and he's not a good actor. And it it just ruins everything as you're just so distracted by like, stop blowing yourself. Oh, but it was yeah. all in the up and up for M. Night back then, I can remember. Moving briefly into television to 2002, we got One Hit Wonders debuting. This is a VH1 show about exactly what it says in the title. Hey. Honestly, this is done better in a million YouTube videos today. Todd great. in the Shadows has a great series on One Hit Wonders that I highly recommend, and it's better than this show. <laughs> well, usually getting the actual participants to come talk that was the big thing VH1 could do. This show I never heard of, but sounds kind of awesome. It sounds like primetime Robot Chicken. The rerun show debuts on NPC. It, it's two sketches sending up a old sitcom. Different- I wish it was good. I, I, it's mm-hmm. an excellent premise. You know, 2002, you're just starting to get into some little digital tricks on television where you could probably do something like this. Uh, occasionally, they had original actors like yeah. Gary Coleman from Different Strokes appeared on the Different Strokes parody. You know, it's just not good. And uh, the audience watched the first episode, didn't like it, and then wasn't around, and it got quickly canceled. I'm shocked it didn't work more, given the nature of, like, yeah, everybody watching NBC is now gonna gonna have some casual awareness of all this shit that's been in syndication for twenty years. So yeah, it's not a terrible idea. The Jeffersons, Facts of Life, Married with Children, What's Happening, Saved by the Bell, Different Strokes, Bewitched, Partridge Family, and One Day at a Time. Of those shows I named, which have you seen less than one hundred hours of? <laughs> <laughs> when the the last one. Well... One day I, at a time. Actually, yeah. I, I was a child in the early 80s, so I've seen a, I've probably seen maybe 40 hours of one day at a time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And Partridge Family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty but crazy. Still, so yeah, apparently did said... did well out of the gate and less and less every time. Uh, a show I, I thought was just surreal came out on Comedy Central this week. Uh, Contest Searchlight debuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was making fun of HBO's Project green light yes only it was a comedy channel show it so was it was for dennis leary and lenny clark to get a tv show produced on the air via a submission and winner uh and and but the funny thing about it is i mean it's funny because there's like a ton of it has a great cast it's the first time i ever ever saw Kristen shaw in my life <laughs> in something and she was hysterical they get pitched a sitcom jesus uh, about jesus but then have to recast him as patrice o'neill and <laughs> 
but but in the first episode or two, I remember Dennis Leary had to come out and like, guys, this is not real. It is a fake show. Because it wasn't clear. There's no laugh track. It's a mockumentary. It's, it's a mockumentary. It's supposed to be like. And I, I remember. And since like Christian Shaw in the first episode creates this huge fight. And I don't know who this person is. And it, it's, it all seems really believable. D- Dennis Leary says something like, George Lopez, can you believe they gave a fucking Mexican a show? Like, oh, why would you say that? And he had to like come out of the talk show like that. None of this was real. We didn't mean any of it. It's it it, it's, it, it, it confused the audience and Comedy Central like kind of never re-aired it again. But I had I kind of loved it. And it's uh, nowhere. You can't find it. As far as a quick Google search, I could not find it. You got a lot, a lot of great funny people on it in a silly premise based on a reality show few people remember. Ah, they made It came back semi-recently on Bravo, didn't it? And uh, moving on to games of 2002, I want to know everything about Car Battler Joe on, on Game Boy. So this combines car racing no. with car battling, battling with RPG elements. So that's honestly a unique mixture. I've never enjoyed car battle games, but if you like those and you like RPGs, give this a shot. I did, and I fucking loved the next game, Market Cree, for PS2. It is, I believe if you sign up for PS Plus, you can get it uh, right now, but a fantastic game with kind of a, a very violent, but with a Disney art style and one of the most unique combat Ooh. mechanics I'd ever seen, and I think so much that they patented it, so you'd have to pay them Sony to use it. You flick the right analog stick around, it sends out a fan and ascribes different buttons to enemies around you. So, this guy you hit with triangle, this guy you hit with square, this guy you hit with X, and you could block and dodge accordingly because you'd instantly assign a button to those those guys you just fanned out. It's a great combat system. It only got one other sequel. Didn't do very well, but uh, I never get tired of singing its praises. And it's a wow. great game you can find for nothing anywhere. Fascinating art style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play a Polynesian, mm-hmm. and the art feels like a mix of Polynesian and Aztec art styles combined into one, which is Ooh. pretty intriguing. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. It is a great first-party game that got ignored. But... Let us close out uh, 2002 segment with Just a Friend 2002 by Mario. It's a hand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I thought he was like a Nickelodeon star, but no, but he's, you know, a teenager and he puts out uh, a remake of uh, Just a Friend by Bismarcky. But also to tie things in, he was in the original Step Up and we talked about like oh. what the fourth one last week. So, eh. and yes, it got really high on the charts for, you know, it doesn't have the charm. He better not Come have on. sung it well. That's not the point. I know he does. It's very unfortunate. You gotta sing it like you're crying. Sing. Boo. All right. But stay right there, people. We got one more segment left in 2012. Don't go anywhere. But you're telling me I'm just a friend. You're telling me I'm just a friend. Oh, baby, you. Oh, baby, you. Got what I need. Got what I need. But you say I'm just a friend. Say I'm just a friend. But you say I'm just a friend. Mr. 
Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of July 29th through August 4th, uh, let's start with the non-musical thing, which is 40 years ago, 1982, is a kind of forgotten comedy that's kind of more important than it is good, but I think it is really good. Night Shift came out, and this is Ron Howard breaking into actual directing and uh, just Roger Corman directing. Michael Keaton kind of his big break into stuff. Henry Winkler, Shelley Long. Of course, it's got Clint Howard in it. Of course it does. Brief scene of very young Kevin Costner shows up too. But yeah, I mean, it's a wackety-schmackety comedy. We're same guys who wrote League of Their Own and Parenthood that we've already talked about. Lil Gans and Babalu Mandel. It's kind of their one of their breakouts too. And it's, uh, it, it's extremely silly because it's about guys who work in a morgue overnight turning it into a brothel. Which sounds as tasteful as you think it is. Actually, it's pretty cute. I mean, yeah, it just kind of gets forgotten uh, amongst all the other stuff. You know, Splash comes out a bit later and then becomes a huge hit and everyone forgets about Night Shift. So it's pretty cute. And then uh, moving into music oh, this week in 1982, Escape My Journey comes out, which means Don't Stop Believing is 40 this week. Everyone put it on at a bar and uh, half people will yell at you and the other half will sing along and you'll drown them out. So there you go. Because come on, power ballads, man, power rock. And then Turning 50 this week from 1972 is a movie that is so much better as a soundtrack, Superfly, starring Ron O'Neill, which is a pretty bitch and blaxploitation dra- crime drama. You know, I'm gonna one more big score and I'm gonna get out. The cars are ridiculous. The clothing is ridiculous. The jive talking is ridiculous. Superfly is made super, super cheap. And it ends up looking not great. (laughs) There is one point, I swear to God, the cameraman's hair gets in front of the lens. Anyway, Superfly, it gets pretty mean and dirty because obviously gonna be pimping and but the soundtrack oh my god i really want us to get back to the days where you hire one of the best musicians out there and just let them score a movie with songs please let us get back to that i there's got to be someone somewhere like seriously like the only people i the top of my head quentin tarantino is someone who does all song scores uh except for hateful eight because he could get more Kone, but he does hire someone like hire Lady Gaga and give her the script and give her five months and let her write songs that fit the action of the movie because that's what they did with Curtis Mayfield, who's a fucking genius. And this soundtrack is so much better than the movie, and you absolutely should listen to it. You will be just pimp strutting around your house listening to Superfly by Curtis Mayfield. So, yep, those are my recommendations. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with uh, Lights by Ellie Goulding. Uh, it's on the charts this week. And this week, July 29th through August 4th, 2012. 2012, 10 years in the past. Uh, also new releases coming out from uh, God's, God Forgives, I Don't by Rick Ross. Shrines by Purity Ring. Uh, and Lost in Translation by Tr- Sixpence, None the Richer. Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is still number one. A little bit of news to bring you to the world of 2012. Is this Indiana or no. Indian? 
Indian power grid failures. Uh, if there were 300 million people. 300 million without electricity. I just, I yeah, I just, the name confused me. Uh, a second power, Indians had power. Uh, a second power grid failure then leaves 600, 670 million people without power. So yes, this is the largest blackout in world history. Uh, it affected about 9% of the world's population or half of India's population. It oh. spread over 22 of Indian states, the northern part of India, the eastern, and the northeast part of it. An estimated 32 gigawatts of generating capacity oh. was taken offline. Yep. You can do your <laughs> your, your uh, Dr. Brown impression. Oh. 32 gigawatts. Holy shit. How long did it take before they started uh, eating each other's faces? Um, no, no reports of cannibalism yet. But yeah, it took a while. It was one of those cascading problems where mm-hmm. it starts out as a little problem, which makes it into a medium one, which makes it into a big one, which makes it into the biggest of all time. God damn. I, I can't imagine 670 million people. That's almost double the entire United States population. Yep. Yeah. And it's all because of one guy in his one piece torrent trying to get every episode of that show <laughs> uh, took everything down. <clears throat> also this week a uh, little little sports milestone. Michael Phelps becomes the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time when he surpasses 1950 Soviet gymnast Larisa Litvinenko's uh, 18 total career medals. He added to that in 2016. So he now has 28 medals total. Yep. Yeah. Most I, medals I've, ever. I, I've read that if you were to design a human body for swimming, you could not do better than Michael Phelps' body. Like, that is as good as we can get as humans at swimming. You know what? Didn't help him host SNL, so I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like he has a biological advantage, and that makes it unfair, and so he should not be allowed to compete, and we should maybe do a bunch of tests on him to see if his testosterone's too high. Yeah, and he smoked Mm. weed, too. Naughty boy. also read his calorie regime when he's training. So oh, guess I can't guess how many calories he had to eat each day while training. Oh, 6,000? We got 6,000 from Chris. Oh, well, I mean, 2,000 is recommended daily. So right. uh, I'll go even crazier. I'll go 8,000 then. 12,000 <laughs> calories per day. His average breakfast was... Ah! Three fried egg sandwiches with tomatoes, fried onions, mayo, lettuce, and cheese. Wow. Lots of cheese. One five-egg omelet. One bowl of grits. Three slices of fresh toast with powdered sugar. Three chocolate chip pancakes. Two cups of coffee. His lunch was a pound of pasta. Two large <laughs> ham and cheese sandwiches with mayo on white bread. A thousand calories worth of energy drinks. That's seven 20 ounce bottles of Gatorade, by the way. Wow. His dinner was a pound of pasta, one eight inch pizza, and more energy drinks. And uh, with a snack for a for late night snack, Golden Corral. <laughs> oh my god has he considered going into competitive eating too hey look at that because yeah. he's putting away a lot of food i yeah. know he's burning it off yeah but to be able to just eat all of that in one sitting is really impressive yeah. so anyhow uh feel free to shame me because 10 years ago the biggest internet need me out there was dog shaming which i still see diana do on occasion I will still shave my dog when he does something bad, like pee on his friend or hop two fences just so he could run up and bark at somebody. 
I love dog shaming. Dog shaming so, so much. Was the I'm art just... of a what you, you put a sign on your dogs telling the internet exactly what they did wrong, usually in front of the mess or thing yep. they've just wronged. Yeah, a- anything that involves you know, just here's a dog sitting looking cute wearing a sign that says "I eat crayons and poop rainbows." Or <laughs> I just typed in the thing dog shaming my first hit is a dog lab looks like saying i'm sorry i jumped on the dinner guest with your granny panties stuck on my head (laughs) (laughs) oh and then uh yeah movies of 2012 july 29th through august 4th dark knight rises is still number one at the box office but we have some new movies here none of which i care about well up up top we have two relationship dramedies that are both like cute and indie and they got decent reviews and no one saw them and oh no i did i I was gonna see the next one but i did i i do not remember damien young brett rice gene smart elizabeth shoe mimi rogers steve carell tommy lee jones and meryl streep and hope springs it's 20 years later now we got meryl streep married to a guy who's 10 years older than her and seems even older than that tommy lee jones okay yeah yeah but she still looks amazing and she obviously took that fucking potion. God damn it, Meryl. Don't fall downstairs. Like their relationship is falling apart. They end up going to this like relationship counselor, Steve Carell. And Tommy Lee Jones, guess what? He's a grump and he's pretty resistant Tommy to fixing their relationship. But but then like better communication and everything works out. And it's cute and it's charming. And everyone forgets it and they forget the name of it. And they forget, like, wasn't he with Steve Carell was a therapist? And then your mom asks you that, and you have no idea what she's talking about. But she says it's good. So there you go. The movie I, I meant to see was the next mm-hmm. one. The uh, Eric Christian Olsen, Emma Roberts, Will McCormick, Ari Grainer, Elijah Wood, Andy Samberg, and Rashida Jones, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Yeah. Movie another written by those, uh, Rashida about, and Will. Uh, written by uh, Rashida Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about a, a relationship and can it be fixed. It's weird how these things go together. Mm-hmm. But this is about, yeah, younger people who got married kind of young and now it's just not sort of working out and they're splitting up. But are they? I don't. Maybe it's for the best. Maybe. I don't. Mm. Yeah. That's about how, like, sometimes breakups are just like, that's it. I fucking hate you. Get the fuck out of my life. And sometimes breakups are like, yeah, but are we happy? I don't know. No. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. I'll. Yeah, my last breakup, It's I have trouble connecting with these because it's been a long time for me. Mm-hmm. My last breakup, my girlfriend at the time knocked on the door with no warning. I was in the middle of watching the finale of Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> she came in and just said, look, I'm really sorry. It's not working out. I, I think we're broken up. Not, I think I'm breaking up with you, but I think we're broken up now. And another I, I thing, was, this is the worst Star Trek slam. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like flummoxed. I hadn't seen it coming. It was just totally out of blue. I was like, well, uh, uh, okay. And she was like, okay, bye. And I was like, well, that happened. Bold. Do I go back to watching the finale of Star Trek Enterprise or not? Yeah, it's a single mm. man. Yeah. The single man who can openly weep at Star Trek. It's, it's how it should be. It's how I prefer my life. Uh, look forward to our dissection of Star Trek too. Uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, I had I feel bad I didn't go back and rewatch it. I did re I did watch it at the time, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's technically a rom com, but it's also dissecting a lot of rom com things. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, Rashida Jones and Andy Sandberg are fun as hell. So yeah, kind of like 
light recommend, I guess, for me. Yeah, it's the one I went. Yeah. yeah, I remember wanting to see it back then. Uh, the next movie is, you know, not for people our age, but who knows? Yeah. Steve Zahn, Devin Bostwick, Rachel Harris, uh, Robert Capron, Zachary Gordon, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dog Days. Third. Uh, the third yeah. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Have we bothered to watch any of them? As no. No, we have not. No, do they recast? They have to recast this kid at this point, right? This is the point where they, this is the last one with the original guys. Yeah. And then it's uh, rebooted in 2007. So the Diary of a Wimpy Kids film series is fine. There's a lot of poop and fart jokes, which isn't my thing. It's very kid friendly, obviously. This specific film has a nice little message about fathers understanding their kids. So it's fine. Yeah, boom. Every single review I found was like, yeah, I mean, these are sort of dressed up TV movies and they're fine. Yeah, yeah. If you made these with a TV movie budget, I don't think you'd lose a damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't don't hate any of the previous movies we talked about on principle. Just disinterest. Mm -hmm. This I hate. The next Mm -hmm. one I hate. Uh, On principle. Have you seen it? No. Why, no, why would exactly. I, why would I, on why would I watch yeah. a remake of a perfect film by my least favorite director working? Exactly. And, and Bokeem Woodbine, Ethan Hawke, uh, John Cho, Billy Nye, Kate Beckinsale, Brian Cranston, Jessica Biel, and Colin Farrell in Total Recall. I couldn't even do my Arnold. Welcome to Recall. Tell us your fantasy. We'll give you the memory. you trying to kill me? Your memory was replaced. Your mind was implanted with a life you think you've lived. And you haven't even begun to see me try to kill you. I, yeah, I had, I had watched part of this on, like, TV one day, and I just kept rolling my eyes at it. Because it seems to, like, lean in more to the mindfuck than the original Total Recall did, which is surprisingly scarce on that kind of shit. Like, is, is anything real? Mm. Is... I was, you know, because visually it made me think of... Uh, Minority, Minority Report, Report, a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Farrell movie from 10 years before that is far superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem like they wanted to remake the Philip K. Dick short story. We can remember no. it for you wholesale. It no. seems like they wanted to remake the Arnold Schwarzenegger film yes. Total Recall, but then they wanted to go all in on the Dick and have <laughs> it be Minority Report and Blade Runner all mm-hmm. up in this damn film. Like, yep. it, that is the true visual design of this. It's Blade Runner and Minority Report. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it does need to exist, pretty obviously. Do they do something different? Yeah, some changes here and there, sure. You know, but it doesn't... Mars, changes. Mars got nothing to do with it. Okay, fine. But, but why? Okay, if you're wanting to remake the Philip K. Dick short story, there's a million ways you can go. That's a very yeah. open-ended short story. You could do so much with that. But they're like, we want to remake the movie with Arnold, but we're not going to cast someone who has the charm of Arnold. Okay, yeah. a lot of Total Recall would not work if it didn't have the personality of Arnold Schwarzenegger. If I really wanted to see Arnold beat up by his wife, which I do want to see with Colin Farrell. Yeah. yeah well, it, you got Kate Beckinsale in the Sharon Stone. And yeah, she's one of the better things. Kate in the movie Beckinsale's she, in a Lynn Wiseman movie? I know. Because oh. she knows how to do that shit. She's she's an action star. And, and she's married to the guy. She knows how to be yeah. a giant bitch and kick people. So yeah, cool. True. 
Yeah, if you factor in inflation, this mm. movie made a quarter of the amount that the Arnold version did in the United States. Did better <laughs> overseas because, of course, it did. But well, yeah, yeah, a lot of effects. There's lots of spectacle. It does look super futury and, instead and... of because some of the '90 version takes place on Mars. You know, you're you're on sets. You're in a hangar somewhere. And yeah. so yeah, this one goes crazy with the green screen. Okay, fine, whatever. So some of the actions okay. But it doesn't need to exist. The world building is stupid. Okay. Yep. They have the entire world be a chemical wasteland, except for the United Kingdom and Australia. And they rename Australia the colony for some reason. And they mm -hmm. build a hole through the center of the earth. Do you know how hard it would be <laughs> to build a hole through the earth? Use that money to, I don't know, terraform Greenland. <laughs> or, or or somewhere. I mean, God, that's the stupidest thing. And the casting is odd. I mean, in this film, we have an Australian man who is secretly a British man who doesn't know he's pretending to be Australian, played by an Irishman. <laughs> yeah. Nope. And no Ronnie Cox. Do we have a three-titted lady? Is that what you hinted at earlier? No. Yes. Well, it's hinted at. Yeah, we, we don't see the tits, Chris. I'm sorry. Boo! Why remake the most perfect film of all time? It's just I don't get it. So angry. Well, uh, so there was talk of a sequel from day one because mm -hmm. uh, Arnold's 1990-90 film was a huge hit, and it's absolutely could do a sequel to that because you could open it up in a lot of different ways. Again, Minority that, Report was almost yeah. a sequel to Total Recall. Yeah, there you go. But decade by decade passed and then calico went bankrupt and then the sequel slash prequel rights were sold to a little man named mr weinstein mm. for 3.15 million dollars just for those rights at that point they were like let's find something and they were looking around and at one point pretty much any famous a uh, wrestler you can name was in line to play Doug Quaid, but then they decided they wanted him to be vulnerable, which I, I don't, I don't agree with. Yeah, he, no, he I, mean, I mean, how was Arnold not vulnerable? I mean, Did you see how many people yeah. he uses a human shield? Civilians yeah, I mean, uses a human shield. That, that's the hardest thing to believe about Total Recall is that Arnold is just some schmo. <laughs> well, he's a construction worker. I mean, you ever seen a construction worker look like him? <laughs> I mean, but that's, I guess that's part of the, the argument that right. it's all, it's real then that mm. uh, he's a construction worker only because they put him into that role because they were, I don't know, he's buff. Let's make him a construction yeah. worker. But there's nothing good about this film. Uh, the yeah. only interesting sci-fi thing in this film I thought was the rope gun. It's this cool little sci-fi device which shoots out an electronic rope which wraps you all up, which if you're going to do a sci-fi film, you should have interesting weapons that we don't have in reality. And at least this gives us that instead of just a gun, which acts as a gun, except it has a funky handle, which is what we normally get in sci-fi films. But other than that, there is zero reason for this film to exist. Mm -hmm. yep. I knew it from the beginning, but yeah. Yep. Fuck this movie. Total Recall 2012. Forget it. Fuck Who this cares? movie. Hey, if you like the black exploitation Diana talked about in Classic Corner, when we move over to TV, July 29th to August 4th, you're going to love uh, the new adventure, animated adventures of Black Dynamite and Adult Swim. I want to tell you a story about a friend I've had. He's a mean soul brother and he's super bad. So grab on to your seats and hang on tight while I tell you a story about Black Dynamite. 
it's such so weird just because like that's such an obscure movie at this point to make a show out of it and most of the cast is involved but Mm -hmm. i love black dynamite and i thought the show was pretty great too and yeah uh, i like this the show is stupid fun and visually it's just Um, really different like you you see one frame of it you're like oh that's black dynamite why is the sky always orange i don't know it's black dynamite yeah it looks it looks (laughs) a lot like the the same studio the from the boondocks is involved but it's like there's a lot more necessary action moments in a black dynamite uh episode but yeah you can find a couple episodes still on adult swim and your on-demand stuff i thought the show was pretty cool jane by design ends on abc family so this is a high school fashionista who works as an assistant to a high-powered fashion executive, but they she got her job because she they thought she was an adult. So it's a high school student having to pretend that they are an adult. Oh. Huh. Oh. Okay. And Fred the Show ends on Nickelodeon, which I oh, believe so- is a show about a guy who speeds up his voice. Yeah. So this is part of the whole let's turn YouTube people into stars. Yeah. Which I'm so glad that died. That was Please. never a good idea. I mean, I thought I thought the show. Disney Channel is still like kind of doing that. Isn't that their is bread it? and butter? I, I I don't know. I, I haven't seen a YouTube star on Disney, but maybe I just don't know where to look. This is like like we talked about that orange, that that the incredible annoying orange uh, a while yes. ago. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is Fred's a YouTuber, and they're like, go go do your YouTube thing, except on television. Yeah, for, but yeah. Fred had made like three movies. Yeah. At that point, uh, kind of one of the bigger sensations to come off of a uh, YouTube uh, YouTube era. Even though being famous throughout the entire YouTube era might have been more lucrative and better form than having a show on Nickelodeon, uh, and then also Nickelodeon robots and monsters, uh, robot and monster debuts on Nickelodeon. It's an odd couple cartoon. Robot is serious, <laughs> monster is goofy, but they're still friends. Uh, they test gadgets. They raise their pet Marf a block of metal with wheels uh, <laughs> and they dream of dating a rebellious biker chick named JD and they go on to make Robot the world's most famous inventor. Fantastic. And then uh, moving on to games of 2012, July 29th through August 5th, the 4th, Orcs Must Die 2 on Wendy's. Yeah, you, know, you know what my biggest problem with 302010 is, what? Chris? Mm-hmm. That I'm not playing Orcs Must Die 2 while I'm recording this, it's a great because game. this is like tapping into the root of my brain. Mm-hmm. This is a tower defense game, except they had the brilliant idea of what if we put you into a 3D person perspective where you're running around the tower defense, building the tower defense as monsters are attacking you and you can attack the monsters. It's an incredibly fun mechanic. It's a charming little world building going on. A uh, fun little sense of humor. And I've played five hours of it so far, and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. And that's the problem with games, because I can't tell, like, how much would I enjoy this game going forward, because I'm not good at it. I'm stuck on a couple levels. But, like, I've already spent five hours on this game, which is more than I've spent on, you know, multiple movies or multiple TV shows for this show. But games just require so much more of your time to experience than any other art form it's true it's true uh and that's yep. why i love my movies and uh also deadlight on xbla a uh 
a 2D zombie. I got very bored playing this, but uh, it's a Keeler Works game that uh, got some decent reviews. It looks Steam like it has some amazing dreary artwork. Yeah, it looks Ooh. like inside. Uh, and then we have, I believe, our 900th consecutive delisted Ghostbusters game for iOS. Ghostbusters Paranormal Blast. Basically, Pokemon Go in your house. You know, this is when augmented reality is beginning to take off. So you're in your house, you pull up your phone, and then you've got a ghost and you got to bust it in your home. All right. Uh, but that is almost it for the show. We're going to tell you who died and perform a fun little quiz uh, to see who was born during this week of 30, 2010. But once again, we got to thank you guys for listening. Patreon.com slash Laser Time supports this show. Listen to Laser Time. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse. Check out our exclusive content. we got hundreds of podcasts over on Patreon.com slash Laser Time if you like this show. Uh, there's guaranteed to be something like it, including some full-length commentaries for some of the movies we've talked about. Di, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Listening nerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Up next week, uh, we talked about in 2002, the beginning of the Bourne series. We're going to talk about a continuation of the Bourne series next uh. week. And we got a double shot of Clint Eastwood. One of them, not so great. One of them, possibly one of the best movies of all time. Mm. Definitely Clint's best best movie. I will say, I think it is the best movie in its genre. Ever? Ever. I think a really strong argument can be made for that. A, a stone cold classic next week. I am going to try to not talk for four hours mm. about every single detail in this movie because I think it is that good. Also, three ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, we weren't talking about three ninjas. <laughs> oh. no, I thought you meant I thought you meant surf ninjas. That changes everything. <laughs> JR, anything you can uh, throw people to? I'm still on a social media fast. I will be returning on about a week and a half. So uh, if you want to talk to me on the Twitter, it's J-R-R-A-L-L-S. Di, who died during this period of 302010? Well, in 1992, that's when we lost co-creator of Superman, Joe Schuster, who was 78. Hmm. Did he... I By 1992, I don't know if he got the money that he deserved he probably i, mean, I think not. he did he deserved yeah. all the money i think he yeah. got some of the money i but, think yeah it's, it's well yeah those guys they got their superman creators got super fucked and yeah. they oh man like you even get more mad at it and like thanks for creating superman in order to, in order to compensate you for that we're going to keep giving you work in comics congratulations <laughs> yeah. no residuals okay. no licensing but i think they eventually you know, I don't know by 1992, though. I know the mm. Superman creators of the estate now is a lot of power. But uh, I know in the early days of Marvel, like they were a scary story for the Marvel creators of just like this guy created Superman and he's still coming around our door looking for work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Still for higher work. And uh, sucks. But then. The bravest man in the universe also passed away. You don't know the name Ralph Cooper. I didn't know the name Ralph Cooper, but that is the creator and MC of Amateur Night at the Apollo. Oh, what's his name? Ralph Cooper. Oh, no. You thinking of Sandman? The guy I think who I'm thinking of Sandman. Yes. Yeah. No. We lost Amateur Sandman? Night at the Apollo is legendarily brutal <laughs> and mm. they regularly make people cry um if they're not just swept off stage for being terrible which happens to uh, a lot of great artists honestly they try amateur night at the apollo thinking they're going to be the one that everyone's going to get behind because when they get behind get behind you big but yeah the footage of little like 11 year old lauren hill crying is oof it's brutal 
So, uh, sorry, real quick about uh, Schuster. In uh, mm -hmm. 1992, an agreement in which the sole heir, Jean Schuster Peavy, agreed to grant any copyright in Superman to DC in exchange for $25,000 pension payment annually. So it looks That's like it? he didn't, yeah, he didn't receive anything, but... Joe Schuster's heir, heir got 25 got grand a year. Yeah. Oh man, that that's bullshit. And I yeah, I thought that I thought there's that deal. They have to keep making Superman movies because if they do not, the film rights revert to the, to the air. Um, well, that that was the deal in 1992. I don't know what deals have been happened yeah, after that. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't talk. Who else died? This is, this looks like the most fun anyway. name of, of the entire show. Oh yeah, well, and then in 2012, that's when we lost Maeve Binchy, who is 72. She's the uh, author. Irish author, uh, she's written, oh, I don't know, she sold like 40 million copies all over the world. She writes very kind of soft novels about, you know, small town Irish life. She's very popular. She's such a bench. She's such a bench. Uh, and that same week, we lost Gore Vidal, who is 86, mm. writer, actor, activist, raconteur, public intellectual. Uh, yeah, I'm watching the Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward miniseries documentary on HBO right now. And there is a pretty great moment where I think it's Paul Newman's mother accused and Woodward of having an affair with Gore Vidal and Paul Newman stopped talking to her for 15 years. And of Gore course, Vidal was gay. <laughs> there is the classic Simpsons line about that where Lisa says, friends, huh? These are my friends, grown up nerds like Gore Vidal. And even he's kissed more boys than I ever will. Girls, <laughs> Lisa, boys kiss girls. Yeah. And I recommend, because I've never read anything he's ever written, except maybe a movie, that Netflix documentary, Best of Enemies, where ABC, because oh, right. they, didn't, they didn't have a, a proper news division in the 60s, they just put on, uh, what's his name? William Buckley and Gore Vidal, high profile lefty, high profile righty, and had them fight during the <laughs> Republican and Democratic conventions every night for hours. And it got dirty and mean and cruel. It, it is yep. a wonderful little doc piece of that. All right. With all that out of the way... It's time for the b -b -b birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, Turning sixty years old, born July thirty first, nineteen sixty two. He was born in Orlando, Florida, the son of a teacher's assistant and an aircraft engineer. Hmm. Was raised a Christian converted to Islam in 1978, but left Islam in 1988. The first film of his we talked about was 1986's Goldie Hawn vehicle, Wildcats. Oh, I think I know who it is. Then appeared on Miami Vice. I'm not going to say it, though, because I feel like I jump the gun sometimes, and I, I want people to be able to play along. Okay. He was considered I for hate the her role fucking of humility. God, Jordi LaForge in Next Generation, but of course the role went to LeVar Burton. It's not Crockett or Tubbs. No. And <laughs> I titled. He had a guest spot, a one-episode role. Movies of his we've talked about include Major League, I got New it. Jack I, is City. It, is it Wesley Snipes? Yeah. 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 Jerk. Jerk. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. That's not a good yep. win. I don't feel like that's a solid win for me. Oh, it's Wildcats is weird because it's one of those that would show on Comedy Central for no reason, but it also has Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in it. Yep. But they're not a duo yet. 
I was going to say white men can't jump. Other ones uh, we've talked about include U.S. Marshals and then, of course, the Blade films. I thought it yes. was called Us Marshals. <laughs> oh. Is that the follow-up to We Are Marshals? We Are Marshals. He's not <laughs> one of us. He's not like us Marshals. Chris, Chris, come on. Get with it. Some motherfuckers always want to ice skate uphill. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that is about it for our show. Thank you so much. Patreon.com slash laser time. Tell a friend about the show. Maybe review it wherever you, you feel like it. Just thanks for listening and all that stuff. We do appreciate it. Uh, spending your time with us. What are we closing out with, Dime? I thought we'd close out with uh, some NXS from 1992. This is a, not as huge an album for them, but they had a couple real big singles off it. Not enough time. And Beautiful Girl, I think. But this, yeah, this is a song I'll get stuck in my head for about a week after listening to it. It's a good one. Mm. Well, take us out of here, NXS. We'll see you next week. Not enough time.